has always been, it's always been a, a thing to do with life, but it's genuinely difficult to get there in the last six or seven months because of that uh, abduction thing to do with all these things. Now, life itself, I, I agree, seems to be getting more of it, so at some point, you're going to buck up against the limit of that, and I think that's going to be the important thing. Yeah, I'd say the interesting thing to look at the way we today is the Oh, and after a year, we were all acquitted, me and the different 
be three by the end of that, is that I then wrote that book and didn't really think I would write another book on it, but it got a really fantastic response from children. And then I, I think I've noticed something in who I am physically, and I'm not the perfect person to do this, but I do try and write my children's books as funnily as any other book, just missing out a couple of adult subjects or some swear words, because to me, children, I've discovered, have a sense of irony, a sense of sophistication, probably much greater than when I was a child. Because when I was a child, I grew up watching John Ben's daughter, but also the Magic Roundabout, which, as any one of my own will know here, is shit. And not funny. Whereas, whereas my son and daughter have grown up watching The Simpsons, which is the funniest television program there's ever been. And Pixar films are brilliant. And, you know, things on, on Cartoon Network which are unbelievable. So when my son was eight, he, he had a sense of irony, he had a sense of comedy, and it was really sophisticated. And I was just shocked if that doesn't have an effect on the younger generation of the world like growing up with the internet, going to movies, yeah, growing up with all sorts of things. Okay, but how will they use that? Well, that's where I don't know. Yeah. But that could be dangerous. There's a, such a pervasive sense of irony in that book that, in a way, nothing becomes important. Yeah. I can see that a little bit in in people today. Certainly nothing, even nothing. Like, I... Uh, that show that uh, Joe Brand uh, told that joke on was a radio show called Heritage. Uh, and I actually invented that show on Radio 4. Uh, and it was a discussion program in which uh, a chair and three speakers, mainly speakers, but there's a whole show of them, try and challenge the speech of the week. Uh, so we uh, basically get to any kind of speech that you want to try to as banal as all the politicians are right. Women are much better than men are expressing their emotions, and then you argue against that. Uh, and that's the idea of the show. And so that, that's a context that quite sticks out when people were furious with Joe Brown. But I bring it up because I was there the other day myself as a guest host. I sit under a chair at the Thirty now, and uh, a, a woman who was quite young put her hand up in the audience, and she it was a conversation about a college and the, the heresy, the, the student opinion was, if you, um, if you say something offensive, you should apologize straight away. And that's interesting, because people are so air-triggered and excited and cause and effect that all the time they're virtually making up their apologies before they would you know, say the thing that they should be offensive about. But I'm only bringing it up because this young woman was saying that she believed in apologies, and that actually her boyfriend, who had been horrible to her, she apologised to him, and then she made him repeat the apology online, on Facebook. And I said, I'm really sorry to say that, but is that because nothing has any meaning to your generation unless it happens online? <laughs> and that's an old part thing to say, but I feel it seems to be the case. It seems to be that's why those triggers were it's not good enough. It's not good enough for my boy to just say sorry and get himself to apologise. I don't know, I didn't feel like she seemed like a nice person, just felt like, you know, you have to be online because that's how things are. But the way you watch everybody is that the cultural technology is important, but you, very little, are not. Who is this alive? Who is this 
what they were saying was the hard way of things. So I tip the public so much corruption, very minute, but obviously he's a young male, white, cis-American female. So I keep listening, and that's the thing about the digital world, you know, if you have up, I can send you to see some more of that, and I'm sure it's a conspiracy theories about you. If you have a homophobic sentence, it will teach you conspiracy theories about Muslims. If you have homophobic sentence, you can get more of that. Whatever you experience when you see, you get more of that. So once you start listening to these far-right and radio, right-wing radio, you get more and more. It's just fascinating, but also incredible, I think, alarming, to see how we become divided into thin tribes. We believe in different truths. We learn our truths from different sources. And it's very different than sometimes people say, well, in the past, in it always happened with these three different belief systems. Different people think. When you read The Guardian, when I read The Guardian, or Financial Times, or Orbit Times, as readers, we know more or less, you know, editorial quality of the chief paper. When you watch something online, we are under the illusion of safety, that there's no editorial quality, it's just a penetrating class of people's mess. So first of all, we need to accept that. And I really think we need to put more pressure on these tech companies. It's really way too important to pursue everything, not only politics, but identity relationships, human relationships. And I think they should have this much monopoly. I mean, again, for me, from Turkey, I, I always think no human being should have a monopoly of power. Whether left or right, they all follow the people. We need checks and balances. Then why give this much power to tech companies? Well, I think it's a very good class to get there. It's one of the most strange paradoxes that the world we live in now. We started 15 years ago bringing this into it. If you said to someone, there's going to be a technology that's going to allow everybody to share their businesses, there's going to be this massive transparency and everything is going to be seeable and shareable and whatever, you say, oh, well, that's really cheap. It's probably true. It didn't work. But it's done for you. I mean, it really has because I think what we wouldn't have thought happened is what you'll get is curated speech, either on an individual basis where for some reason people are obsessed with people saying very different words online or they're very angry and there is a way of having that initial speech that you're heard, or on a much more complicated level, there are controlled systems by people like YouTube or whatever it might be, the Turkish government, who pretend to be different in order to sustain a narrative that is designed to keep them in power. And what's also very scary about it is that the whole psychology of tipping very much is obviously tipped up to be the penetration of the capitalist system. In fact, if you went back and researched the people who were um, big companies like Fred Drexler, they would have called them dumplings. Those are very scary companies. They would have called them double dumplings. How do you measure it? Well, it's difficult when you think about anti-Semitism. I mean, one thing that always like confuses me about Islam, uh, which is this fundamental sort of uh, perversion of Islam, is obviously there are very strong female perspectives, but this is a disconnect about what vegetarian is. But then I thought, is why, what are the political purposes of it? And a guy called David Hatteroff, who uh, was in the small of Edward Cowley's editorial campaign committee, told me that he followed a plot uh, about four years ago that was very anti-Semitic. And that was basically that they took the stick out in pre-Soviet Veritas Berlin. It got to the state, so strongly found black rights by people. It got like nearly 40,000 followers. Then, three weeks before the referendum, it became 
speak, I hear the subject and now back to Brixton and the meeting of our session. And then you realise okay, that's just very, very clever of you just to use the same system. Thank you. 
sometimes it's very slow, sometimes it gets bumpy. It's just our luck with memory that we're surprised by things. And I'm not talking about chemistry of the world, but living memory. We can see that in our living memory we tend to forget things. That's the process of aging. Identity, I do think, 
present to you the very abstract mental thing that we would want to get at, those feelings, are they angry, are they interested, are they beautiful, or whatever it might be. And, you know, you don't want that. You don't want to be able to have a hierarchy of, like, possible answers to identify two variables. But what I was going to say positive is that there's a woman at the Beano said to me, actually, the next generation are much more, if you like, understanding and not so self-sufficient and not so dependent on human sort of like will understand it more and they'll know about the basics. I don't know if that's true. But well, I think that's really interesting. It's also like you say, Peter, that when you're growing up, you, you kind of abandon the fact that you try to figure out who you are and then you just go forward and try to you know, find some problem and that's it. And you just can't find it. So, but if you're in a place where you can get those answers, you can play with them, you can figure it back and forth. You can play with them, do my best and say, hey, Resistant we are to change. Yeah. Yeah. So if you remember, every few 
one of the reasons I think is that we are taught differently. And we're told, well, look, you can't eat junk food. That can't be the reason to change the number. Because it's in our culture, it's a culture, language. Eat as much as you want to. Not in the food, as much as you want. And the second thing is you don't have enough interest in your conversation or a voice that is culture. To me, if we eat more, that's probably some of us. I don't know how this is more. And they live in counterparts, which in some situations is a bit emotional. And in the meantime, we give them in some of us, but for just a little, eating mostly through logic and facts and numbers. I'm not underestimating numbers or their research, but all I'm saying is it's not enough. Interestingly, my teacher, Tinga Arjan, I think she's one of the exceptions. One of the unusual females who she's not afraid of showing her emotions. Unfortunately, particularly female politicians, understandably, I understand that psychology because it's such a male dominated environment. In order to see how tough they are, how strong they are. Now, this thing is imposed with Bolsonaro, but that doesn't extend with Angela Merkel, who's unfortunately not successful, but still unable to show their emotions in the name of being tough. And the thing that I've done, one of the key reasons is that she talks about her anxiety, her depression. How it can be tough for her as a mother and politicians, but how she's taken at the same time. So all I'm saying is, we need to put more emotional intelligence on the table and let, let emotions be also, not be afraid of that. Otherwise, I think we, we, there's no way we can compete with that nowadays because it's primarily an emotional language they're speaking, and secondly, it's a very dialectic language they're speaking. The two people use this emotion. Everything is simplified. And we live in a nation which we are afraid, but maybe not afraid, but tired of something. It's like we need to cry out when someone comes and says, I'm going to make chicken for you. We long for that simplicity, that sense of safety. And yet we are promising it. It's an illusion that we're giving ourselves that illusion. And when you talk about Trump, you will remember one of his speeches, he said, it's exactly right. He said, the important thing for us is to unite the people. And the next time he said, as for the other people, <laughs> he really, he said, as for the other people, they don't really matter. You know? So it's funny, but it's so dangerous at the same time. But these are the things we inflict emotion to other people. They don't really matter. So we need to come up with a good system that says we have to be emotional. Thank you. 
globalized space where Putin is anxious. He is anxious and he has grabbed power and he knows and probably in the back of his mind, I think, is that he is fighting more planned than manned enemies. I might be wrong, but what do you think is, is the good that any either of those sides have implicated in?